Hello and welcome to the EDH RETCAST, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he doesn't like plane chase, he prefers forest and mountain chase. It's Matt Morgan. So, a group of dolphins is called a pod and a group of falcons is called a cast. So, if you're ever watching the NFL and you're watching the Miami Dolphins play the Atlanta Falcons, technically you are watching a podcast. <laughs> Wow, that was a journey, but I think that might be your best dad joke yet. Holy dang, Matt. It combines several of my favorite hobbies, whether it's animal knowledge, sports, Mm. or just guys sitting in a circle. As every podcast tends to be. As every podcast is, yes. Yeah, yeah, we are 100% guilty of that, absolutely. Speaking of which, let me introduce our other co-host here. Uh, Up next, when he plays Plane Chase, he doesn't even need to roll the planar die to make sure that chaos ensues. It's Dana Roach. Did you hear about the uh, pregnant bed bug? No. She's having her babies in the spring. Mm, There it is. (laughs) That joke had some bounce to it. I like it. (laughs) I like that you both had animal-themed dad jokes this week, I guess. Maybe I didn't like that. We're we're, we're feeling the warm weather right now, and nature is is coming back. We're uh, bedbugs. Nature is healing, and bedbugs do not belong in the same (laughs) sentence, Dana. Uh, (laughs) How about we just get to our topic? Matt, what in the world are we actually talking about in this week's episode of the podcast? (laughs) Well, we're going to take an episode to reminisce about our beginnings with the EDH format, how we got into it, and what made us stick around. Indeed. A little uh, trip down memory lane, see if any of our old wisdom holds up, maybe, or any lessons from older decks that we used to have. It's going to be a nice personal nostalgic type of episode, and hopefully there will be some nice takeaways that listeners can have and see whether any of those lessons hold up in today's meta, too. So uh, we're just going to be old men. So, Dana, I hope you feel happy about no. Okay, that's such a mean joke. Never mind, <laughs> yeah. never mind. I'm taking that back. You guys all know what it's like to be me. <laughs> right. Real quick, we got some shouts, shout outs to do. Let's do that instead. <laughs> First, I'd like to thank Chase, also known as Mana Curves, for the help editing the show. You can find them on Twitter at Mana Curves. Real quick, we also want to shout out Coalesce Apparel and Design, makers of absurdly cool magic-themed merch. Their Keeping It 100 series is legit. I love the Windgrace Forever shirt. And we, of course, recommend the EDH Rec collection, too. And I gotta say, these shirts are comfy. Use code EDHREC at checkout for any of your Coalesce purchases for 10% off your order. Again, that's code EDHREC. And if you would like to support the show, you can do so by liking, subscribing this video on YouTube, subscribing on your local podcast app, or by going to patreon.com slash EDHRETCAST, where we have patron tiers of all levels. Just a great way to support the show and get yourself a little something in return, including being put in the running for the weekly patron shout-out. So this week, we want to give a very special shout-out to Robert Joffreon. So, Robert, hopefully you're not like Joffrey from Game of Thrones, because that would stink. But thankfully, you support us over at Patreon, so you can't be that bad. That is a really cool last name. Joffreon actually sounds like one of the elements on the periodic table. Like, that is fully an awesome last name. It almost sounds like a Pokemon name, but I also know nothing about Pokemon. (laughs) The third evolution of Joffrey becomes Joffreon. (laughs) Robert, we appreciate you, even if we have a very weird way of showing it. It's a it's a unique appreciation. Yes, yes, it is. Matt, let's get into our topic here. We are taking a little trip down memory lane. And how about you get us started with this episode? 
Well, yeah. So we had recently been talking about pre-cons and how we were getting into the format. And it's a great way to get new players into the formats. And we thought, you know what? Why don't we just like talk about how we ourselves got into the format? Because we talk about how it's growing and booming. But all three of us, we've been playing for a long time longer. We've been doing the podcast longer than a lot of newer players have been playing the game. So we figured kind of give people a glimpse into what brought all three of us into the format. Because, yeah, it's we there are some fun stories there for sure. Indeed. Like, I know that I learned to play off of a pre-con, but I actually am not entirely sure how you guys got into it. And like Dana, I know, has been playing Magic Gathering since before it was invented, like back in the 1800s or something. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of ancient wisdom that he's... I really need to stop it. These jokes sound way meaner when I say them out loud. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it's it's cool. Back when Dana first started playing Magic, it was called Witchcraft and you got burnt at the stake for doing it. Wow. Oh, goodness. <laughs> At some point, once you get to a certain age, you quit understanding the jokes anyway, so my feelings aren't hurt because I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Fully having a Sattler and Waldorf moment right, over here. Right. Okay, so then Matt, how about you? How did you get into not just Magic, but the Commander format specifically? So my playgroup back uh, around Theros, so I, I got back into the game. I played when I was growing up as a kid, but then, you know, just other things kind of took over my time span. So around Theros, I started playing with a group of friends, went to the pre-release, and then a few months later, we played 60-card casual format, so I started getting into standard a little bit. But one of my friends had been reading Benny Smith's articles over on Star mm -hmm. City Games, who, Benny's great. If you don't read Benny Smith's articles, what are you doing with your life? It's it. <laughs> Benny is a wealth of knowledge. But my friend Andrew had said, you know what, this, this commander thing sounds kind of fun. Why don't we all try it? And Pretty much everybody else in the group was kind of, well, we drug our feet a little bit, but eventually he wore us down and we, we tried it out. We all built some decks. My very first commander deck was Myel of the Anima, which was all about Naya colors, big beefy creatures, things that still carry over to this day. And it was just a lot of fun. And and after we finally gave it an honest shot and listened and, and played the played a few games, I realized that compared to 60 card formats where everything was hyper competitive, because I'm naturally a very competitive person, it was nice to be able to just have fun and enjoy the stories that came from games. That was the one thing I don't think I was able to really appreciate back then. Mm. But looking back now, I realize every game was so much different than the last one we played. And that's what I think has kept me around for so long is... Commander is always about creating new stories. You're not reliving the same stories over and over again. You're creating new ones every single game. I love that. Dana, how about you? When did you get started? I mean, so I, I've been playing since revised-ish. Um, I had a friend that went away to college, was a year older than me, and he came back the following summer with magic cards um, and kind of promptly got all of his friends involved. Um so, so that was the summer that Legends came out. If that tells you anything, um, <laughs> so I was actually I actually managed to buy like Legend packs in the store, at least a few of them. They were difficult to find, but I I did get a few of them. So like I I played back in the day. Um, when people say back in the day, I legitimately that long ago. And, and at one point, when I was in college, I had a roommate that um, he, he had a nervous breakdown basically, oh. and stole a bunch of stuff from all the other roommates. Um, Including with magic cards and, and, and sold them at a pawn shop. So I, at that point, I wasn't going to rebuild the collection I had. Um, 
So I just gave up. I quit playing the game. And, and then fast forward, you know, 15-ish years later, it was roughly returned to Ravnica. Um, I had a coworker that, that played and I, and I knew played. And he, at some point, we had talked about magic. And he just kind of, like, wore me down gradually. And I think Gatecrash was the first pre-release I went to just kind of messing around. But when we played originally way back in the day, um, we played a, a variant of Magic that he called Highlander that, like, guys from school had taught him. It wasn't a 100-card cap, but it was a no-repeat card rule except for basic lands. Mm-hmm. So my friends and I all had casual decks. We played multiplayer that were no-repeat decks. So it was a very logical transition once I came back to start playing Commander because it was not that much different than what I was doing for multiplayer Magic you know, 20 years earlier. Yeah, Dana, it sounds like your time time in the game and then time away and then time back in almost mirrors mine. I remember it wasn't Legends, but I bought Homelands packs. And I think you win that exchange because <laughs> everyone knows Homelands was a little bit of a miss. So, yeah. A little less but Joey, juiced than Legends was. A little, yeah. little less. Maybe a little less valuable. So, Joey, how about you? So, we, you got to hear our stories. How did you get into Commander specific? Because I know you played other formats, but how did you get into Commander? Well, it's so interesting that uh, all three of us, I think, have mentioned having a drag your feet element to our beginnings with the format. And I Mm -hmm. am fully, I was deeply resistant to it. And that's ironic because now it's my job uh, to (laughs) talk about Commander. Uh, But no, I I was introduced to the Commander idea probably in like 2010 or something like that with um, some folks who had their own, here's the Commander, here's the singleton nature of it. And I was like really dubious. I was like, I don't know. I've really enjoy having my four of lightning bolts and my other stuff and um i really enjoyed modern like i was a a living end player i think at that time and i just really enjoyed like all of that that shenaniganery basically but then in 2011 wizards of the coast actually produced the original commander precons with mimeoplasm and kalia the vast and all of those and that that is the one that stuck me then eventually when it was like official from the company i was like all right fine i guess i'll give this a shot and i was like trying to be all superior to it and then instantly i was like oh this slaps oh my goodness this is so dang cool i think i initially actually started off with the uh the gave guru of spores pre-constructed deck because it had carador in it and i was like i know i like graveyards i want that graveyard thing um and it was another buddy of mine who'd gotten the mimeoplasm deck but then he saw gave and he was like plus one counters and i saw mimeoplasm and i was like wait that says graveyards on it too and we just did a straight across swap and mimeoplasm has been my first deck and my forever deck like i'm never deconstructing that it is still i think possibly the best designed commander ever for for me i'm just like this is my favorite commander of legend design ever ever with that one and i'm very very deeply in love with it but it really took an official endorsement from the company for me to finally deign to give it my attention which is like a really horrible i'm just like why was i not willing to take a chance on it before a company was like yeah it's good though like i i don't i don't understand that impetus for me but yeah that dragging your feet element is very very interesting that all three of us seem to have that because I feel like that's so not the case nowadays. Nowadays, everyone's like really excited to try out this thing out because we all know how awesome it truly is. Well, and what's funny about that too, Joey, is how you and I both, we identified the types of decks that we like to play pretty much from the get-go. Yes. Uh, you like graveyards. You like doing things and reanimating and cheating things in a play. I also like cheating things in a play just from the library and doing big, dumb creature type things. Dana, did, did you immediately kind of find your play style immediately when getting into commander or did it take you some time to kind of figure out what you like to do yeah i, I did um i think in part because we were playing those decks you know when i first started playing and my friends and i had all 
picked a different color combination. And so, so that kind of immediately got me in the mindset of when I do this, I want to do something no one else is doing. Because I was used to playing multiplayer with friends who were playing decks that no one else had that color combination. So like there wasn't a lot of card overlap. So in, in a lot of ways, I think that's probably was probably the genesis of when I first got into Commander. I started th- thinking in terms of that. Well, I want to build something that no one else is building because like that was what I was used to doing. And the next so the, the next step was to that was well, okay, how do I what what idea do I have to run with that? Like what mm-hmm. what thing that no one else is doing can I come up with for a deck? So yeah, I, I think very much that was, that was the same thing for me. I, I started started playing that way, and that has that through line has definitely carried on since then. Dana was a hipster even before EDH Rec Data could prove that he was building <laughs> hipster decks. I mean, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that that's crazy too because also EDH Rec didn't exist back then. So yeah, it, it's so funny watching how deckless evolved back then. So I got my old Myel the Anima decklist together, and first off, it was a trip going through all of the old cards that I used to get so excited. I still get excited about. Let's let's be real. But also how deck lists were kept. I found this deck list. I so back then when I first got back into it, Tapped Out was kind of the only deck builder website. Yep. My deck wasn't even on Tapped Out back then. I found it from an old email thread from 2013 with one of my buddies as we used to email back and forth to avoid having to do work. Amazing. That's how that's how we used to track our deck lists via email. Excellent. Via email. I, I found mine, Matt, in a um, MTG Salvation forum post from, from <laughs> July of 2013 is where I tracked mine down at. Excellent. Yeah, it's it's so funny just hearing about how all the you know, back in the day type of moments when we didn't have Architect and Moxfield and EDH Rec and Scry- yes. Gatherer didn't exist. So it was it was dang near impossible finding new cards. So when you finally did like I the I think the reason probably that I enjoyed the format so much was it was truly the bulk rare format. You could go digging in and you found these quartered cards and you're like, holy cow, this is fantastic. I want to put this in my X deck. And back then, we people, if you had three decks, you had too many decks. That was another crazy thing about playing back when I got into Commander. Now, now that right there, that is another thing that I note is very interesting about the way stuff has changed. Like my first mm-hmm. deck was the Mimeoplasm. And then my second deck was, uh, I believe, Crufix God of Horizons because my husband got me a pack and I happened to open a Crufix in there. I was like, oh, this might be interesting to build around. Let, let's give it a shot. And I was convinced that I would never take either of those apart. And eventually I was just like, I'm going to take this Crufix deck apart. It took a couple of years, but eventually I was like, yeah, no, this 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 thing is too dirty. Like I can't, I can't keep doing this to people. Um, Mimeoplasm, I'm not going to, but like now nowadays like today in this year i think i've already taken apart two decks just this year and i'm just like it's so much more mm-hmm. blasé flippant i don't know like i'm willing to actually spend some creative energy on a thing that i know is not going to be a forever deck and that was so different yeah when i first got in here where i was just like this one deck is all of my identity and now i'm like no i have a lot of different pieces to my magic identity i can't wait to spend a little time with some of them maybe not forever but like yeah that that is especially one of the bigger shifts that i noticed between today and the the days of yore yeah i'm still protective of mine but not nearly as much as i once was i absolutely like i'm i'm not you know, super fickle about it. I, I, I don't make those changes on decisions on a whim, but I, I make them much more readily than I once did. Absolutely. 
And by the way, we should probably mention our deck lists are in the description of every video, every podcast description. Uh, but also, we'll we'll try to make sure that we have the the links for not the MTG Salvation posts, I suppose, or, or Matt's old emails. But we'll try to make sure that we have yeah. your guys' original deck lists in, in this one as well for those old retired deck lists so that people can take a look if they want to. Just uh, wanted to shut that out real quick because I bet people are curious. Well, and the funny thing about the deck list too is that when I plugged it into Moxfield, just getting it ready for this episode so that folks could see it, I noticed that there were 98 cards in there, probably <laughs> on accident, but that happened all the time. Well, inflation, so Matt, over the years. <laughs> inflation, yes. But a 100-card format recently as inflation's happened. But, but I'm sure like when I finally realized that, back then you could just take two random cards and throw them in the deck and it was totally right. fine. And, and so I'm sure that's probably what happened. But it's it's so funny to me that looking back, I mean, uh, I definitely wasn't playing enough lands for sure. But also, I didn't even have a hundred cards in the deck. It just it's <laughs> it that's just how it was. But it, like it was so fun back then too. It 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 really did hook me in. But also looking at prices of cards too. Like I mentioned, oh yeah, we would go digging through. And if if I spent four dollars on a card, I I was definitely of the mindset of if I'm spending more on a single card than on a booster pack, I'm doing something wrong. And so cards like oh. Aggravated Assault back then were two dollars, and I look at it now and holy cow, that that card's fifty dollars now. What the <laughs> heck? Fifty dollars now? Yeah, Aggravated Assault is a fifty dollar <laughs> card now. But I what? I. I look at the prices on this deck and there was no way we ever spent any of this money or Utvara Hellkite was a, a card. I absolutely loved playing that and flipping into it, doing all sorts of dragon stuff, even though I had like four dragons in the deck. But still, Utvara Hellkite now is a $20 card and nobody cared about it because it wasn't good in standard. It wasn't good in other formats. It was just this, you know, bulk rare that you got to play in this random spinoff format. Amazing. Now, okay. On the subject of like origins within the format, I am especially curious, like what were the original boogeymen of the format in your guys' estimation? Like are there oh, commanders that you were like, huh, when you saw them across the table? And is that still the case today? Because I think that is also a very interesting illustration of how things have evolved over time. Like Dana, were there any commanders where you were like, huh, when you first saw them back in the 2011s, the 2012s, the 2013s? So for one, I, I will I will note the, the world was much, the, at least my world as far as commander goes is much smaller then than it is today. Oh where yeah. I, you know, play on spell table with folks from all over the place and go to a and stuff. Mm. It was very insular. I mean, it was just people here in my local environment, and it was a small meta of, you know, we're talking like half a dozen people. Mm. Um, so that's a whole different deal than, than it is today. That said, the Boogeyman's then for us were less commanders, and it was much more a relatively easy to assemble two card combo. It was the Sanguine Bond, mm -hmm. um, Exquisite Blood combo, or it was uh, Micaiusian Held and Triskillian kind of kind of things. I think this was even before there would have been Walking Ballista as a card. So like it, it was those relatively easy to put together two card combos that were things people were like most vigilant about and most scared of versus a particular commander. Kali was clearly very strong, and there were there were cards like that that people were aware were strong, but. At least where I played, that was the thing people were were like always on alert for was those two cards just win the game combos. Mm. Matt, how about you? Uh, so a buddy of mine had an Athreos. It was the white and black god from the original Theros block. And Athreos has an ability whenever a creature dies, you can an opponent can pay three life to keep it there or it goes back to your hand. And 
we talked about how when you're first getting into Commander, you know, players don't understand the power of shock lands. Like, why would I pay two life to have this come into play untapped? I could just play a basic land. Well, my man- mindset back then was, why would I pay three life to keep something in your graveyard? Just put it back in your hand. <laughs> but then I realized how difficult it made just to to get rid of a creature for good with an Athreos out in play. It was so annoying, so frustrating. And that was just, I, that was the deck I originally remember just being so hard to beat. Uh, it, it was just a pain in the butt. But then also, yeah, like Dana said, Kalia the Vast was kind of the original boogie woman of the format. Sure, where sure, sure. If, if somebody sat down with a Kalia deck, you kind of knew, oh my gosh, I saw one deck that did this one time. There's a deck list and it's it's super mean. <laughs> and yeah, it absolutely was. Especially once Kalia's interaction with the card Master of Cruelties kind of like mm-hmm. yeah. came to light as well, which can sneak it in there and technically it can trigger the effect for the Master of Cruelties to set the opponent's life total to one and then Kalia's like swooping in for the final two. It gets around like mm-hmm. certain like only attack alone clauses, but then it checks when it's not blocked before. It, like it's just, it was silly and it was just like, oh, like that was one of the, 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 the boogies of the format. <laughs> Absolutely. I definitely remember that one. Well, the other thing that was interesting about it about back then too um is decks evolved and changed so much more slowly mm-hmm. um I, I remember having a group text with the the people of my meta the handful of, of people that i played with so like six or seven of us where where once when, when previous season would happen we'd all be like posting whatever cards got you know previewed that day and like today you would do on discord i guess sure and and four sets a year are coming out right and <laughs> Everyone be like, oh, yay, this one card will work in my one deck. Like, yeah. people would, the, the amount of things folks would get really excited about, you know, out of the core set 2013 <laughs> compared <laughs> to what we get today, the, the power level of cards is so much more geared towards Commander. And there's just so many more sets that like decks changed a lot more. Whereas, particularly back when I first started, you would play against that deck and it would be more or less that same deck for like, months if not years at a time Mm -hmm. and that just doesn't happen today either well and the ownership of decks like that also was a huge difference where people would like you hinted at joey people would really kind of build their identity around a deck that they built because it did something that they liked to do or that they wanted to be known for and then like dana said how everybody had different color combinations of their decks we totally had that in my play group we only had five or six people and we would go to the shop and we were kind of the only five or six people playing commander at that time and so we definitely didn't want to step on other people's toes like, oh, well, I, I don't want to build a, a Demir deck because I know Murphy likes those colors. Or, oh, I don't want to build a, a, a sure. green-white deck because Matt just built one and that's kind of Matt's favorite colors. It was those kinds of interactions that was, it was so funny. It was so weird. So, so when I was going through those old email threads, it was just so funny to see how we didn't want to step on other people's toes and, and really intrude because we kind of gave each other identity around the decks we were building. Especially, that's so interesting with the colors because that resonates really strong with me as well. Like, I fully remember, like, we had a Thraxamundar player. So, like, oh, a cool Grixis thing. And then the Nikasar precon came out as well. And it's like, uh oh, another Grixis. And there was another person who was interested in that. And it's just like, two Grixis? We'd never heard of such a thing. Mm-hmm. What, in, what in the world could this be? Or uh, there was also Olero as well came out in the 2013 product. And we had um, a, a Shroom uh, player in, in our meta. It was just like, wait. 
Esper can do more than just artifacts? How novel, <laughs> how intriguing. We had we had never even considered to explore such a thing. But like on the subject of the boogeyman, I got a shout out like Sharoom was fully one of ours. Like Sharoom mm-hmm. doing combo stuff with I think like Phyrexian Metamorph just constantly getting it back, copying Sharoom, which would then instantly die. You bring Sharoom back. That with any type of like Disciple of the Vault stuff, that was a combo boogeyman that I definitely remember early on. And then I feel like we also have to shout out Gave Guru of Spores being a combo master with everything in sight was very easily apparent um Rafik is a very big classic one Rafik giving the exalted double strike I know a lot of people quote that as a an OG boogeyman and then I remember Zer the Enchanter being famous for fetching out a lot of combos like tutoring up stuff too those those were I think mine but the the color identity stuff as things started to branch out Matt I totally feel that as well because I think I felt that within my original group too yeah Sharoom was a commander I I didn't really understand it when I first sat down against it but I, I came to understand very, very quickly what happens because <laughs> it, yeah, it, like you said, Joey, it, it just did these things that were just outrageous and you couldn't let it live. But then if you killed it, well, it just did things over again. <laughs> you couldn't let it die either. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was such, such a nightmare to deal with. And back then, just when card knowledge wasn't there, you don't really know how to interact and how to address problems to really get rid of them semi permanently, even. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of those are still extremely strong today. They're not necessarily like the looming threats they once were, but I think that's more because everyone else has caught up to them, <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. just, if that makes sense, as opposed to them necessarily having gotten any worse. Like, Sharoom can still do combo stuff, and it is totally nasty. Uh, but it is interesting to see how things have shaped around that. It's very much, I feel like in the case of some of these big old baddies, Matt, they've uh, kind of done the thing that you have recommended before, like, your your mantra is like if they play an eight drop you play a nine drop and i feel like that's how the <laughs> format has kind of warped around some of these big old baddies from the past it's just like oh you think that you had something really big and awesome so do we here's a bunch of new big and awesome to to counter it and that has uh mm-hmm. been an interesting way to see things balance out over time yeah R- rafik is still a homing missile in 2023 and I, I remember that was the second deck that i built and we'll talk about that here in a little bit but it, it, like I said, going through those email threads of something so silly, it was it kind of reminded me of like, no, when a listener sent us an email and challenged some stats. There it is. And <laughs> I knew where this was going. I knew it. it. Well, you, you, th- you think you know. You didn't really know. I, I just as soon, I was just like, there's there's something about the the tenor of your voice, Matt. There's just like you've got this lilting quality of just like I'm gonna challenge some stats. I'm gonna steal the segue from Joey, and you're just I, it's so you can't help it. It's there, and I'm like, I know what's happening. I know what's coming. I, I've never said anything tongue in cheek or super giddy to to get a reaction out of anybody. I that's just not me, Joey. <laughs> okay, Matt, you got it. You got the segue into challenge of stats. There's so much data on the EDH rec, but we don't always agree with that data, so let's challenge it after our break. So, Joey, we genuinely did get an email from someone who they want to be known as Dawnbringer, and they sent us an email at edhretcast at gmail.com, something you can totally do if whether you're a patron or not. But Dawnbringer said, I'm a big fan of the stats and the dad jokes, but I'd like to challenge the stats hopefully with a hipster card that makes Dana proud, which I kind of think you will, uh, although this isn't his kind of commander because it is popular and kind of a nutty commander. Well, that nutty commander is Chatterfang Squirrel General. So well played on the dad jokes there, Dawnbringer. Nice. Uh, in fact, this will be referencing Joey's episode of Upping the Average on Chatterfang because of what the card could potentially be a replacement for. 
So the card being challenged is Sapperling Burst, which is only in 33 decks for Chatterfang. So Sapperling Burst, for those of you who don't know, is four and a green for an enchantment with Fading 7. Woo. And you can remove a Fade counter from Sapperling Burst to put a green Sapperling creature token into the play. It has this creature's power and toughness are equal to the number of Fade counters on Sapperling Burst. And then when Sapperling Burst leaves play, destroy all tokens put into play with Sapperling Burst. They can't be regenerated. So Dawnbringer goes on to say, I feel... That not enough people are playing this five mana Chatterfing's Swarm in a Cannon type of card. Uh, the obvious cards that can be compared to are Mycaloth and Underworld Hermit that are both being played in about 28% of decks. But why Sapperling Burst? Well, most Chatterfang decks would have some sort of death trigger related effects, which this card could immediately take advantage of, like Moldervine Reclamation, Aristocrat Drains, etc. Mm. And assuming Chatterfang is in play, you instantly pop out seven Sapperlings by removing all the fade counters, which thus creates seven squirrels in addition to the Sapperlings. And the Sapperlings would immediately die as a state-based effect, triggering all those death triggers, leaving you with the leftover squirrels as well. And then people can prepare for an overrun on your next turn, maybe even with a Beastmaster Ascension. And then you can pop out everything to get death triggers at instant speed as well. Uh, Dawnbringer, this is a fantastic challenge. Sapperling Burst is such an old card. You, you are correct. It's back from Nemesis, which was kind of back when Dana and I both were playing originally. But it's such a wild card because Fading 7, nobody really knows what Fading is, where you take counters off. I believe it's at the upkeep. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. They don't use Fading anymore. <laughs> But with Chatterfang out, you get squirrels as well. So you're able to really go to town with the aristocrat death triggers, leaves you with leftover bodies. There's a lot going on here. If you're playing Chatterfang, I definitely think that more than 33 Chatterfang decks want to have Sapperling Burst, especially considering there's only a thousand of these cards and decks in general. So yes, this is a great find, Dawnbringer. Nice job. I really love that. Listeners, if you've checked out the Upping the Average series on the site, you may also notice Sapperling Burst in a recent Slimefoot Upping the Average video that we've done as well. Uh, so Dawnbringer, we're on the same page. Great minds think alike. This is uh, this, this is way, way cool. I really, really like this card for Chatterfang and for Slimefoot and for just lots of death in general. That's um, That's a fun thing. Uh, actually, you know what? Speaking of green enchantments that do death stuff, how about I move to my challenge now? I actually have a card that is overplayed in a certain deck. Um, Matt, I know that you're a fan of The Walking Dead show, so mm -hmm. you might be familiar with the Daryl Hunter of Walkers commander that they made for that set. Yep, grow colors, get to make some zombos for your other friends. Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting design for sure. Yeah, it, it's it kind of funky, and there's only about like 450 Daryl decks out there, but for the folks who are playing this commander, there is a nonbo that's pretty high in the data that I just feel is really worth pointing out here. The card Compost shows up as, uh, it's showing up in 43% of Daryl decks there, and Compost is a really cool card. It says, whenever a black card is put into an opponent's graveyard, you may draw a card. And at first, that sounds awesome, because the ability of this commander is to give your opponents zombie tokens, and the zombie tokens are black, and therefore you draw cards, right? Well, the Unfortunately, no, because tokens don't count as cards. It actually has to be like a card as in originally from a deck. Even if you're representing it with one of the cardboard pieces that you got from a pack, that doesn't technically count as a card. Card is going to be different than a token here. So compost is a non-bow with that Daryl ability. If you're playing it just because there's a lot of black decks in your meta and you draw cards when those things die, then yeah, okay, sure. But 43% is a really high mark for a card like this that doesn't actually have synergy with the commander. So I'd like to point this one out as a, a potential misunderstood non-bow for this commander niche as it may be. It's worth noting non-bows whenever we see them, and so that's why I'd like to challenge this one as being pretty overplayed for this commander. 
Well, I am going to talk about a, a new-ish car because I usually talk about very, very old ones like compost, for example. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is unusual for you. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Symmetry Matrix is in about 4,000 decks on EDH Rack, and it's only, you know, six-ish months old. That's not even. Um, so that's a decent number for a card that has, has not been out very long. It's a four-mana artifact. Whenever a creature with power equal to its toughness enters the battlefield under your control, you may pay one, and if you do, draw a card. I think this card is currently being underplayed because... It doesn't specifically say tokens on the card, so that makes it an easy thing to miss. I myself have assembled a few token decks recently and just kind of not had it register immediately that it's something I want in the deck. Um, but it is something you want in the deck, particularly if you're in mono white. And there's a ton of mono white commanders that make a ton of tokens, all of which have the same power as they do toughness. Mm. White struggles to draw, and this is a card that you can run in your... Mondrak Glory Dominus deck or Myrel Shield of Argive deck or Zerium Golden Wind deck. There's, you know, a, probably 20 different mono white commanders that have make a token baked right into their text that probably struggle to draw cards like mono white does. And Symmetry Matrix is a ridiculous card in a lot of those decks. It definitely should see more play than it's seeing. The the most it shows up in any deck is in 12% of Myrel decks. Then it drops off to 6% of Zerium decks. And those are the two highest. It's at less than 5% in every other mono-white commander, many of which absolutely are significantly better than running it. So that card should just see more play probably in general. Absolutely in mono-white decks that make tokens that just automatically hit that clause. If 76,000 players are still willing to play Mentor of the Meek, mm -hmm. which also costs mana yep. and only draws you cards on creatures entering with power two or less, if 76,000 players are still using Mentor of the Meek, I think that this card, it stands to reason, could also budge up there because it unlike the creature that Mentor of the Meek is, does not die to random board wipes. And does also, right. Correct. Can, like, it can do more. Yeah, I, I'm fully with you. Symmetry Matrix is a baller card. I really like that one. I mean, it, 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 I run it in a mono blue, my mono blue tower on deck that has access to all the draw I could ever need. And it's still disgusting in that deck. <laughs> I, I just feel like you have, if, if I'm willing to run it there and I'm pleased with it, you, if you're playing mono white, you absolutely want it in a token deck. Excellent. Wow. Yeah, that that is absolutely great. You know, okay, so, you know, I just named Mentor of the Meek and I gave it a little ribbing there because I think it deserves it a little bit. Like, that feels like one of those older, like, format original things that, in my opinion, doesn't really stand up to the, the tests of time today. But I'm kind of curious for you guys if there are other things like that. Like, are there any other, it doesn't even have to be cards, like, any old pieces of wisdom that maybe do or don't hold up nowadays compared to when you first began? Like, Matt, are there... I don't know, things that you've taken and that you're glad to have gotten rid of nowadays or the things that you've taken that still hold up? How how have like certain pieces of wisdom translated across time for you? Well, so I remember kind of thinking that it doesn't really matter how many type or how many lands you play in a deck. It absolutely matters how many lands you play in a deck. <laughs> um, I wasn't playing enough lands back then. Chances are a lot of people still aren't playing enough lands now too. Uh, I, I'm looking back and I was only playing 33 lands in that deck uh. in my original Myel the Anima deck. And, and that's just, that's way too few for a deck that it, the average CMC in the deck is over four. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, 33 lands is not going to cut it. Uh, and, and if you're trying to do the same thing in 2023, 33 lands still isn't going to cut it. Now, you can make exceptions, but by and large, a lot of people just aren't playing enough lands. That holds up today. It, people were making the same mistakes, but compared to back then in, in 2014 or whatever, we have so much more information these days about the format and just how to help build more cohesive decks. And that is number one piece of advice. <laughs> Don't make the same mistake we were making 10 years ago, people. I, I, I think the I think even Watsi was making that because like they the were the, like the Zedru pre-constructed deck, I think also had like 32, 33 lands or something like that in it as well. It's Wasn't like, there, I, I'm pretty sure there was a precon that only had 29. I, I don't don't quote me on that, but something crazy low like that it's just like yeah yeah like the commander might draw a lot of cards but it does need more help like usually nowadays if you're playing like 33 or fewer lands it's because you're playing like marwin or whatever like your commander makes a butt ton of mana so you don't want to flood but like yeah nowadays the, the land count i feel like that was also a really big uh, a rough thing to learn over time and it feels a lot more solidified nowadays but it sure took us a decade uh, one that jumps out at me um and it's kind of it's been a journey that's that's like that's 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 gone one direction and like gradually arced the other way is originally you know 2013 ish era when I was building I remember being like I I, I just need to run a few more board wipes than <laughs> I was running or that anyone around me was running um, but there weren't any good ones I, I I specifically remember coming into my shop one night and be like I guess I need to buy a day of judgment for this deck because I already had a Wrath of God and Austere Command was like $12 or something. Oh, so right. I picked up a Day of Judgment for it, which is a card that if you had 30 board wipes in your mono white deck, I'm not sure it makes, I'm not sure it's in the top 30. Mm. Um, today, you know, but, but back in the day, that was legitimately something you could run. So like I, I, I remember making that arc from I don't have enough board wipes in this deck to I need to run more to now having kind of swung the other direction where, well, I'm going to run a few less, but they're going to be ones that almost always work in a way with my deck that they become very like heavily favored towards me. So like yes. I've went, I've, I've taken that arc from not enough wipes to running more wipes to running less wipes, but they're ones that really specifically provide me with an advantage in my deck. Damning verdict, which only destroys stuff that doesn't have yeah. counters on it so that you can make it one sided. Even winds of abandon is straight up mm -hmm. like one sided. There are a whole bunch out there. I, I like Marshall coup as another one. It was just like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to wipe the board, but here's, I'm going to be left over with a board state. I feel like that dynamic, Dana, you're totally right. I used to be like, oh, wiping the board is always going to be great because like things are going to get crowded. But now I really do. I feel you. I only want to play board wipes that can be one-sided in some way. And I don't think I'd ever play Day of Judgment again these days. Well, and that just kind of speaks to how there's a whole bunch of cards that they were considered format staples back then that just, they're, they're not quite unplayable. You can never say something's truly unplayable in Commander, but mm. the arms race has certainly kind of caught up and overtaken what they were doing back then. There's so many cards that I look back at some of my original deck lists that I'm just like, oh man, I remember playing that. And, and that was so much stinking fun. Like Godsire, I don't remember the last time I saw a Godsire in a a deck either on spell table or, or at an event. And that, that card was almost unbeatable. Absolutely crazy how good that card was. Or uh, I, the card Giant Atophage. Oh yeah, was yeah, yeah, yeah. So bonkers. And that could take over a game super, super quick. And again, I, I haven't seen a giant Atophage at a table in, in for so long. And part of that is my own fault. I will fully admit, I just, I haven't put it in a deck in a long time. But also, that card was the terror of the tables for years back then. 
the one that jumped out at me looking at my deck list was I, I remember the reaction I had when Hero's Downfall was spoiled in the Theros set. Uh. Like, I can't believe they made a better murder. I thought murder was <laughs> going to be the best black removal spell forever. And we just, this Hero's Downfall card is bonkers. And I haven't put Hero's Downfall in a deck at this point <laughs> in seven years, probably. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like because there's just been so many other options, but th- like that was that's how the format has changed. That kind of thing really jumps at me. Those cards that they came out and you're like, I can't believe this thing was power creep, and now that thing has been a power creep so many that you never talk about it anymore. Uh, for me, it was, I remember Relic Crush, a five mana green instant, destroy target artifact or enchantment, and up to one other artifact or enchantment. Whoa! And now I'm just like, I I, I can't really justify this. My pinpoint removal is usually like. Two mana, three mana at most. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a very, even if it hits two things, I'm just like, I can't really justify this. And actually, that's another thing. This is a destroy effect. And like, I mean, we were just mentioning rads. Like, I really feel like the potency of indestructibility was much more of like a thing initially. Like when an Avacyn hit the field, it was like, well, good game. I don't think there's anything we can do back back then. And now we're just like, ah, I can exile it in probably like eight different ways. There's a lot of minus X, minus X effect. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll be all right. Like it'll be a problem. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to have to pay attention to it. But it's, it's not like things are hopeless anymore with indestructibility. I had a Bramble Crush in my deck and you guys aren't entirely <laughs> sure if I'm making that card up right now oh no i remember bramble crush don't you worry <laughs> don't mind me looking up what a bramble crush is <laughs> sounds like a type of soda bramble crush sorcery destroy target non-creature permanent for four mana dana i can see why you would play that in mono green years ago i don't think you're playing it again now these days though <laughs> Yes, no, that has not survived the test of time. But that was a legitimate card to play at the, at that point. You're like, oh, it's Desert it's Twister a, it's too. A, yeah, right. Yeah, Desert Twister was in precons. For yeah, a while. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, and all, along the lines of indestructible back then was was super super scary. So was hexproof. Hexproof just it it, it had this yeah target on its back, but actually quite literally not because you couldn't target <laughs> anything. But I I put Witch Stalker, which is a card nobody's played since. Corset 20 or 2014 <laughs> rotated out of standard, but I put that into a deck because oh, well, Witch Stalker is really good because people can't attack it or people can't target it, and I can put an armadillo cloak on it and then I can just gain a bunch of life. That was my whole reasoning for putting this absolutely nothing to do with my commander two card, not even a combo, just a two card package into a deck because oh, hexproof is pretty dang good. I mean, hexproof on a commander still. Excellent. Still is very hexproof good. Hexproof on a random, what is this, a 3-3 three, three wolf with hexproof? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't even have evasion? It doesn't. Oh, Matt, your green <laughs> options have gotten so much better these days. I'm so happy for you. This this was back before green got everything else in every other color. So it, it was a little limited back then. Just as long as we're talking about cards that I don't think necessarily hold up as much here anymore, I'll give one more shout out to... Nozumi Grave Robber was another one that I really remember being super excited by. And nowadays I'm just like, you're kind of asking a lot of me, babe. Like, Nozumi Grave Robber is <laughs> one of those upside down Kamigawa cards, two mana, two one on one side, with an activated ability of pay one and a black to exile a card from an opponent's graveyard. And then if that they have no cards in that graveyard, it flips over and then it flips over into a different legendary creature. And you can pay five mana to reanimate anything from a graveyard into play. And I remember being so enamored of this card. I was just like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And nowadays I'm doing the math and I'm like, that is nine mana before I reanimate a single creature. 
I'm, I'm going to play an animate dead and I'm going to bid Nazumi Grave Robber goodbye. Like, my standards have increased. I'm sorry, Nazumi. <laughs> yeah, you, you can pay nine mana with Nazumi Grave Robber or just play nine mana for Rise of the Dark Realms. And you get the same thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> A little different. <laughs> yeah, it's an adorable card. I'm still like, oh, Nazumi, you know, like if I saw that in a game today, I'd be like, hey, oh, that's what a cool thing. It's nice to see you again, buddy. But for me, I'm just kind of like, I play a lot of Reanimator and this one hasn't come any anywhere close to any of those decks. And yeah, it, it's fun to reminisce, I guess. It oh, absolutely is fun to reminisce about how Spearbreaker Behemoth was my favorite card because people didn't know how to get rid of it. <laughs> but gone are the days when a seven mana beat stick do that doesn't actually take over the game instantly it just doesn't cut it anymore and it, it stinks but I'll, that's probably also why i'm so excited about playing pre-edh because it kind of just harkens back to a lot of those feelings of oh we're playing these big dumb cards that aren't really great anymore but they're still fun cards to play and just go to town and just beat each other with these big dumb creatures yeah it, and the other thing that that jumped out at me looking back a little bit is how players' understanding of what makes a card powerful has changed. Yeah. So hmm. looking back through my list, I I remember – so I this was a Golgari – my Glissa deck is a Golgari deck. I had a regrowth in the deck to bring something back from my graveyard. Mm -hmm. And I was like looking for other effects and Treasured Find had came out in – um that, that Ravna cassette. So it did kind of a regrowth thing, but it exiled itself and it was done. Mm. So I was running that as a second version of that. And then at some point I stumbled across Yogmas Will. Huh. I'm like, oh, well, that's, it doesn't exile itself. I'm like, yeah, I can get multiple things back. I'll, I'll run that instead of Treasured Fine. So I replaced Treasured Fine for Yogmas Will. Then I wound up like picking up from a binder for, you know, $5 or something absurd. Um, and nobody ever commented on it. I would play it in games and bring back like, a fetch land and, you know, maybe a creature or something. And that was it. And, and for years I ran that card in that deck and no one really thought anything of it. And, and I wasn't aware of its history or the nickname Yogg's Win. <laughs> um, so, so it wasn't until probably like 2017, 2018 that I would begin casting it. And people were like, oh, this, that's what you're doing here. Like people became like visibly shocked to see a Yogg must will in a deck. But that that wasn't how it was for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. It was just not something that even really registered with folks. Well, and two, just the, the quality of like tutors. People like you still had tutors, but people didn't really play them. But you still played. I remember playing Defense of the Heart, and I thought that was probably one of the most powerful cards in the game because I was able to go get. Uh, I, there was one time I got Gisela Blade of Gold Knight. And it was like a horde smelter dragon <laughs> and I was going to give them haste and I was going to hit one person for like 40 damage. That was what I wanted to do. And that was just like, it was such a crazy feeling of getting these massive creatures out there just to go beat face. And, but you, you're absolutely right. Yeah. There, there's cards that they were great and then they kind of tailed off a little bit and then they're starting to resurface and, and defense of the heart never really wasn't, it was never not powerful. It just kind of, kind of got pushed around and, and waxed and waned a little bit. But yeah, Defense of the Heart, that is probably one of the few cards in my original deck that might make the cut in a deck that I made today. 
I feel like that's one of the, the the stages that I kind of had to go through as a commander player back all those years ago of like, here are all of the fun worldly tutor things. Here's all the fun mystical tutor things. I just got a vampiric tutor. I'm so excited to add this really cool, awesome, powerful piece to my deck to make sure that it functions more regularly. Mm -hmm. And nowadays I've yoinked all of those out. I've gotten rid of them for store credit and stuff. And I am so much more willing to embrace the variants because I've gone down those tutory roads with the defense of the hearts with the tooth and nails with all of those and i just tired of them and i think yeah. that was a nice stage that i had to go through to become a better commander player yeah. and to learn to embrace the the fun the unpredictability of it which was the thing that i wanted from the format in the first place but i just had to exhaust all of those options to see really you know i, I was tempted by the power of them and then once i went through them i kind of like oh, all right you know what? this has lost its novelty for me and i'm ready to move on to a new a new version of becoming a, a more well-rounded player and that's i i think yeah, I think that's probably a stage that I hope a lot of folks can relate to out there of exploring those things really thoroughly and then being like, all right, I'm ready to move on. And tutors are a really big aspect that I, I no longer feel a call towards because of my experience with them much earlier in the when I started playing the format. So, OK, so I got a question for you guys. So I remember winning a game. It might be the only game ever that was won because somebody had Miles Aria in play, <laughs> uh, which is a card that is able you, you basically if you. And you're, if you have a creature with power 20 or greater at the beginning of your upkeep and, My and Miles Aria in play, you win the game. I don't think anybody's ever won like that ever since or before, probably. Do you guys... You are the only one statistically. I probably we can, am. We, we are dead certain of that. The, the card is not great, but <laughs> I, I won and I will always cherish that memory. Do you have any card that you're pretty sure you may never, ever put in a deck again, but you have just this fond memory of winning because of it or with it i i have one but it's not commander related but i want to tell the story anyway like is that all right <laughs> do it we're we're t that's all we're doing today is telling stories so please do i i it is possible that i might be the only person who has played a game of modern and won despite being mind slaver locked okay <laughs> um I, d I don't know. It's but like I, I'm not saying I definitely am the only one, but like I won despite the fact that I couldn't take any of my own turns for the rest of the game in a one-on-one -on -one game, and I think that's kind of awesome. Uh, Mindslaver is that artifact that uh, you sacrifice it to take control of someone's turn, and in modern there's a Tron and Academy Ruins deck that would loop that over and over again to take all of your opponent's turns and then no one can you know they can't do anything about that and it tends to be gg but the thing is i mentioned i was one of those living end players so i would get a bunch of creatures from my graveyard into play by cascading into a living end and one of those creatures was a monstrous carabid mm -hmm. and monstrous carabid has to attack every turn if able so i won by playing a game of why you hitting yourself against an opponent in modern because they had to attack themselves despite the fact that they were controlling my turns and i will cherish that memory forever am i putting monstrous carabid into my edh decks absolutely not am i tempted to just because of that memory yeah sometimes absolutely <laughs> so that's one of my stories oh yeah absolutely the, the hoist it on your own petard for sure. Uh, Dana, what about you? I, I don't have a particular one, but I, I will just say this because th this was a, a bit of a conversation I had with Shivam recently on, on Casual Magic that I don't think has aired yet. And we were talking about, uh, similar to this, the the our early time in Magic. And I, I mentioned, like, I, I remember very early on just not having or not even thinking about win conditions and decks mm -hmm. like my 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 thought my thought process regarding a win condition was well hopefully i'll have a uh, i have a four power creature in play when someone gets down to three like that was <laughs> it like the, i'll work someone down to three life and hit him with hit him for four and that's what 
the plan was. And, and I think that was, that was the thing for a lot of people too. That was how people kind of tended to look at that a little bit. The, the thought about how specifically I was going to win was, was a little bit less of a concern than just playing the game and you'll eventually win. That is excellent. That is really a really, yeah, that what a, what a change it's been. Cause like initially when putting decks together, it was just like, will some of these cards work together? Eh. Mm-hmm. And now when I'm building a deck, I'm fully, I design it with the intent of not just like, Oh, what does the commander do? But also what do I want the end of the game to look like? Mm-hmm. Like that is a cornerstone of how I am building decks nowadays. And that is such a departure from where it began. And I feel like a much better deck builder when I plan with the finish in mind. So Dana, that's a mm-hmm. terrific lesson. Yeah, you'll be able to see that when you look at my deck and you're like, how did he win with this deck? <laughs> when you look at that list that we will post and the answer is get someone a three and hit him with something something for four. So that, was, that is how I won with it. The answer is cross your fingers. <laughs> yes, basically, yes. You know what? Okay, fellas, all of this reminiscing also makes me feel like there's one more story that I think we should tell. And it's not just about how we got into Commander. It's also about like how we started the show because i I don't think a lot of listeners know how the podcast came to be and in my opinion it's extremely funny about how the show actually began um because it was kind of like a reality tv show like matt am i wrong about that i feel like it was kind of like you could have made a reality tv show about the way that this all got underway no it really was it was like that old show making the band where they had people try out to become like form a new boy band (laughs) It kind of was like that. So so all three of us, we all wrote for EDHREC. We wrote articles for the site. I'm actually one of the original employees. I've been an employee longer than Joey has. Probably been alive, actually. Wow. But ne- neither here nor there. Uh, but all three of us were writing articles. And yeah, so Don Miner, the, the, the founder of EDHREC, said, I kind of want to have a podcast tied to the to the website, too. What do you what do you all think? And we, yeah, we had auditions. And it was really weird. And... Kind of awkward at times, but it was super funny just how it all started. Oh, yeah. All of the writers were interested in being a part of the time when EDHREC moved into not just the data on the website and also not just the written article content, but also if they started to produce any, you know, audio content and maybe in the future any video content and like all the writers were interested in. And you can't have, you know, 24 people on a podcast. So like... (laughs) He organized us into little sample pods and then had us do a sample pod together. And then he would cut people and then rescramble the pods and then keep going. And it was just like, like every couple, couple times it'd be like, I'm sorry, my dear, you were up for elimination. We'd have to lip sync for your life or, or, or whatever the heck. And then we would eventually whittle down and it came down to the, the three of us. And I just think that's a very fun way that a show came to be because like, I don't know, we've only met in person, like what, three total times. And I just think that's very, very adorable. <laughs> Yeah, we had recorded for a year and a half-ish or so before we actually got together in person for the first time. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. it had been a while. Well, it was also funny, too. We probably recorded, I would say, like three or four practice episodes, quote unquote, before we finally got mm-hmm. to the point where, okay, this is something that's ready to go. But also, that's it's we hopefully that comes across as a word of encouragement to everybody out there who is trying to start their own yep. podcast. Don't wait for it to be perfect because we definitely did not get to the point we are now overnight. <laughs> I know that's hard to believe, you know, with our scathing <laughs> professionalism, but scathing professionalism. Yeah. Like we're so good at that hurts. statement right there should prove a lot of things about what you're saying. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> but anyways, they will fix it. Well, yeah. 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 <laughs> our, our editor can fix it. But, but also if, if you're trying to get into content, you're trying to make a podcast, just start doing it. Just get, get a microphone record on your phone with your friends and just start doing it. You can refine it over time, but it, it definitely does not start out perfect. I hopefully, 
everyone can take that away from our little story of how we got started. I, I think that's kind of the lesson that we realized about ourselves, about how our original decks were, too. Like, they were deeply imperfect when we began. <laughs> yes. There were a lot of things that we had to learn. And just because those things happened, you know, 10 years ago, or in the case of Dana, 3,000 years ago, like, there, you know, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. We had a lot to learn. So even if mm -hmm. you're starting with the format now and things are a little bit confusing, 100 cards, what do I do with all of this? Like... It's going to take a while before you really find your footing, but having a couple of cornerstones that are fun to build around, those can certainly help. But like you're going to continually improve by exploring a whole bunch of different stuff. And yeah, don't let perfect be the enemy of good, whether it's podcasty wise or whether it's, you know, your, your old deck lists and, and things like that. What a what a good lesson to end on, I think. Oh, I don't know. My, my 98 card decks were pretty dang perfect. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, that's that 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 is awesome. Ed, you say that, but like I'm pretty sure that I, I probably had like a, a couple of hundred and two card decks somewhere in my past. And, and Dana, <laughs> who even knows what he was up to, right? Like, mm. I mean, you're gonna look at a uh, you're gonna see my my Golgari deck. Like, that's a lot of basilisks in one deck. That's, <laughs> that's way more basilisks than I knew existed in Commander, and I don't know why they're all in one deck. So. <laughs> I mean, if it makes you feel better. We've made progress. Dana, if it makes you feel better, I had Dragon Arch in a deck with only nine multicolored creatures in there. And that that's all <laughs> that card cares about. So that just shows where I was coming from. Oh, man. We have we have learned to make some better connections these days. And listeners, please learn from our foibles. We need to know that this was good for someone out there, okay? <laughs> Here we are fully embarrassing ourselves about our... But it's not it's not embarrassing. Yeah. It's, it's it's fun to, to look it's back. It's learning. We've well, learned. Yeah, and yeah. Let us know in the comments, too, what kind of foibles you made in your own deck building processes, too. Because it's always... I think it's fun to look back and, and see, like, oh... I really did just like not know what I was doing back then, didn't I? At least I'm better now. <laughs> that, and that's just it, right? Like looking back, you know, you don't want to get trapped in the past, but looking back no. can educate you about how far mm -hmm. you've really come. And that's also a really nice thing to dwell on for a little bit as well. And listeners, we would love to hear from you about how far you all have come to. Uh, there's a, a lot of strides that we can make in the game. And it's it's nice to see the progress that has been made. With that, though, fellas. I think it's probably about time that we call this episode to a close. So if our listeners want to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us online? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDHRETCAST. We have guests on every single week, and it's always a super fun time. So make sure you tune in for that as well. And Dana? You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. I'm writing articles for EDHREC and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRETCAST. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz. And you can find the cast at EDH Ratcast on all of the online spaces, too. Plus, if you want to contact us, you can get a hold of us at EDHRetcast at gmail.com. Once again, our thanks go out to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH Wreck Your Deck before you wreck your deck. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special mom in your life. And what better way than with the Osea's limited edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. 
Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets that are perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their advanced eye care duo brightens, awakens, and firms the skin around your eyes, while the golden glow body trio nourishes and smooths the skin all over. Both sets are packaged in giftable boxes. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. And the best part? For a limited time, you can save up to $46 on Osea's sets. Plus, get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. This Mother's Day, get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. Go to OseaMalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off site-wide.